0: Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adored for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God! How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I are, when I awake, I am still with you. Encounter. So Father John Winningfield has made a big impression upon me. He's taught me a way of meditation which I really do believe in and I can follow this path. So I set myself to it. 1995, Twice a day, 30 minutes a day, I start to do all this discipline of meditation. It's an interesting time. My wife is pregnant. My long-standing psychiatrist of 10 years has moved on to work with the Medley Infirm in Liverpool. And a new psychiatrist comes on board. You have a child? He said, you're doing marvelously. He said, you're doing wonderful. You know, you've got work, you know, everything's going well, but the amount of medication you're on is minimal. There's no point in taking that. I agree. I've come off the medication. First child is born. Right? If anybody have had children, it's a, it's a wonderful time a blessing, you know, one of the most incredible experiences, days of my life when my first son Thomas was born it brings us challenges and stresses as well as sleepless nights and it's a different life having children isn't it and the challenges began to get to me and I started not to come very hard. I was working I managed uh, I years earlier I got Four weeks temporary work with the Welsh Welsh Office as a fine new park I proved myself over those four weeks and I just continued year after year from Welsh Assembly to Welsh Office and I became an established civil servant and they took me on as I was because I had to because it's Welsh Office civil service and we do medical checks and everything, I had to declare the full picture. When I tried to declare the full picture before. You know, often I wouldn't get anything interview, really. you know, this thing, you know, stigma, misunderstanding, fear, schizophrenia, you know, you try and find work, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's one hell of a challenge. But they, they took me on board. Mm-hmm. But about a year after my son was born, I was having real difficulty, I wasn't on any medication, and uh, I took some time off work. I went to see my doctor. I've got a really good relationship with my doctor, and he's quite a character. And uh, I said, "Just need some time off." again said, "Yeah, that's fine." We'll I can right on the certificate. Said, bring a bit of humour in you, and he wrote down on the certificate. I said, "What's that?" He said, "Oh, that's a senior." He said, "We don't really want to tell them the truth." I said, "Well, what does a senior mean?" He said. It basically means you knackered and it will cover all ills, he said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he gave me a prescription and he knew me quite quite, quite well and he gave me a prescription and he said go fishing on long walks on the beach. He said come back in a fortnight's time and we'll have another chance. So that's what I did. and. Uh, my love of nature really began to, began to come back, and I had long walks in nature, and it really, really helped in me. But I was still struggling. About two or three months into my two months into my sickness period, I thought I better make an appointment with a psychiatrist, and I made an appointment with a psychiatrist, and it happened to be in Saint David's Hospital. Uh, as an outpatient, and I went there and she was so concerned about me, she said, um, I've got a bed reserved for you, and I, you know, if you're happy to come in now, which I think you really need to come in the hospital now, so I'll give the nurse a phone, a phone call, and he will come down and administer the cancer injection, the, Dep- the depot injection, and, uh, and, you know, that, that will be you know, the starting journey back, back to again. I had my young baby in my hands, I had my wife by my side, and at that time we were, my wife was pregnant again with a se- second child, and we were beginning to look at getting a mortgage and moving houses, and an appointment with the bank manager that half afternoon, and I just felt at that time this was not right i come so far in my life, on my recovery journey, and I just felt if I went back on the ward and went back on a real serious, I know it would have been heavy medication, it would be too many steps back, and it would take too long a time to come back again. And I didn't want that. So I got up from the appointment uh, with young Thomas Mann, my, my wife, and we went home. I got straight home, and I said, I'm not happy. As soon as I got home, the phone was ringing, it was my GP, and they said, St. David's Hospital had been on, they are very concerned about you, and they want you to go into the hospital. Um, and I said, you know, I don't want to do that. He said, well, they may well act. He said, you know what happens? He said, they may well act. And I felt like a cold and rat, and my anxiety were going through the roof, and it wasn't for me any good. It was adding to the troubles that I was going, and I didn't know where to turn to. I decided to take a walk down the village and come and see my local priest. And he was in and then the chaplain might explain what was happening and then uh, they were putting pressure on me to go to the hospital, he said leave it with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got home, I stayed, stayed at home, and the phone was quiet and about four hours later my GP phoned up and he said, uh, for the time being, uh, no one will be chasing you to go into hospital. He said, you know, the word, uh, word has been passed on from the church that, that, that they must leave you be for the moment. Uh, he said, but I must tell you, you know, if you do deteriorate and you become a threat to you, to yourself, that is, that you think it yourself or others that they will have to act. He said, you know, come down and see me in the morning. I'll be that, that was it. Whatever happened, I think the priest made, I back, I worked with the bishop, the bishop, I got a crossword with the consultants, the and the pressure was off. Um, so I went out to see, see the doctor, and he said, you know, you need to be taken care of, and so forth. Um, that week, one of my neighbours across the road, uh, he was Caretaker or a convent which was two miles down the road, it's a Cistercian uh, convent, a Cistercian nuns. And it's, we agreed that he would have a word with Sister Elizabeth, I knew Sister Elizabeth, because I was really struggling with stuff and I just wanted a bit of peace, I just wanted time. Everything that got on top, top of me, I just wanted some time. Uh, so I took it in my own hands a bit. And I went up to see Sister Elizabeth and it was a Friday and so she said, you know, you can't come in till Monday because you know we've got services over weekend. But if you come in on Monday morning, you can stay in this room and you can stay until Friday and we'll bring you three meals three meals a day and we'll have a chat. So that's what I did. On the Monday I went in into the convent, I went into this single accommodation retreat room. And three times a day, Sister, especially bring my food. And also collect the dirty plates and sit down and have a chat with me. Um, that's what I needed. I needed five days of silence and peace and counseling. What I did for those five days, I did an intensive set of, med- of meditation for five days. You know, I really did a lot of meditation. I tried it out still my mind, because part of the problem with psychosis is a busy, overactive mind, and I'm beginning to realise the benefits now of what meditation is doing to the mind. In some ways, it's having a similar effect to the medication. You know, the medication was locking the mind down in some ways, but it was also quietening the mind. And I was beginning to understand that the meditation was doing a similar thing medication but without all these horrendous side effects. But there was one thing before I went into the convent also, I played sensible and I went and see my GP and I pretty much wrote the prescription for him. And he he just he knew me and he just agreed and I told him, you know, give me this injection now. And you know that will just help stay stay stabilized. And give me I told him what how many uh, legactyl pills and he did 25 milligram legactyl pills and I told him exactly what I would do I would take these at eight hour intervals three times round the clock three eight to 24 and I'd take this while I was in the compound and we'd review it when I come out of the compound because my mind was very overactive and it, you know, I needed the medication at that time to settle my mind as well as the medication so we agreed on that, when I came out then on the Friday. I wouldn't say I was exactly out of danger or clear, clear, clear of all my problems and, and things that happened in my mind. But that five days in silent retreat give me enough space and time just to do these things, you know. And that, that that helped me. That helped me, and probably saved me in hospital admission. This was a real turning point this was. This was an empowering and I'm beginning to take my own destiny in my own hands now. A real turning point. It was was a strange year this one. This was 1997. It was the... What I say about this year, this was for me, this was a year of encounters. mystical experiences visions you know when, when you're suffering with delusion it's very difficult to discern what's a delusion what's a vision what's a mystical experience but 1997 was all of that mm-hmm. it was the year Halley's comet came over slowly that light coming over across the sky and i made a connection to Hades comet and this is true i went down to see my gp and he said, you also, he said, I've had so many people come in the last few weeks with similar symptoms to mm-hmm. He's comics, he <laughs> said, He's something to do with Hades Comets. He said, I'm sure of how He said, "What It's <laughs> that? He <laughs> said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he said, uh, I think everybody's suffering with fallout, space dust, you know, fallout from the uh, Hades Comets. Something was like, So, and then I had this one incredible experience. It was like I was, I'd lost any control of myself, and it was like I was led or directed to a place over, over a number of days. I ended up at Clantony Abbey on the english Welsh border, just off, off this dyke, and I got to this abbey. And the moment I got there, I had a real intense mystical experience. And I haven't talked many people about that, yes, but it was an incredible experience. And that was the year of 1997, so I was back on the medication, but also meditating quite deeply. And, uh, you've got these two working together. The medication really does lock down the mind closes the mind down. But once you lose once you decrease the medication so it's very, very less, the mind begins to open up again. But that brings dangers of uh, delusions, hallucinations, the subconscious But it also brings is an opportunity for those things to be revisited, experienced. And there's an opportunity for healing.
1: And another new
0: psychiatrist, a lady doctor, and she understood this. When I told her that, you know, I was meditating and my mind was slowly becoming healed, but if I was on heavy medication, you know, it was difficult for me to access that healing. Mm. And she understood that. I'm, you know, I'm telling you nothing new amongst the meditators. It's like the peeling of an onion, really. You begin to open up those layers, you begin to go inward, and this is the journey. Now, you know, where I was in my teens, in the early twenties, I wanted to, I couldn't live with myself. I wanted to escape as far as I can by myself by any distraction because I couldn't live. Suddenly. The is coming back. You know, and there's this great theme in Christian meditation of coming home, you know. I'm on this inward journey now. I'm, I'm coming home. I'm coming inward. That's, that's the process of meditation. And I'm sure this psychiatrist, she knew that, she understood that. And with that process, emerges I was telling my friend earlier I you here and I call you Col I never work with you but it feels <laughs> like that in some way. Uh, when you start to meditate you know the healing process isn't like an ascendancy from despair to would like to make a well-being or spiritual help whatever you call it like that. Sometimes it, goes, it often goes like this something emerges, and you, and you, the, the pain, the emotion comes to the surface, the healing, and, and so so you, you reach, reach a difficult point. And in all spiritual disciplines you have this thing about those difficult times, you have much of it in Christianity, you know, the dark night of the soul, and, 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 and these things. So these things can happen. You can either stop meditating or go back, or you can continue meditating and face the pain and go through the pain. And then for me it was like I could almost see and know ahead of me with a burning ring of fire. And the closer I got that burning ring of fire, it got more painful and um, the heat of the burning ring of fire, the turn away and not experience that pain or the burning ring the fire. Or the carry-on and go through the burning. On the other end. And that's what I decided to do, but that brought much pain and much emotion and rawness, you know, and through that was a real healing. And uh, that's 1989, 1999. Still feeling delicate at times. I visited my local mine office. And I just got a chat. And I went in and couldn't help myself. It was a total emergence and eruption of crying. And I, it was just, it was an appalling. And I could not control it. It must have gone on for 50 minutes. And I couldn't stop it. And the the lady in the mind office then, she was very good. She just took me to a separate room and just let let me be. And then I basically came around and I went on and there was nothing more said about it. But, that's, you know, that's, that's these, it that back time, but these things, you know, happen, you know, the pain, that rawness of, of the healing process. But I think that's all part of the process of, of, of healing the mind. 116. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe therefore I said I am greatly afflicted and in my dismay I said all men are liars how can I repay the lord for all his goodness to me i will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the lord i will fulfill my vows to the lord in the presence of all his people precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Freedom. I continue and deepen my meditation and the positive effects of the meditation begin to infuse all of my life. My, my mind is calming down and I've moved from this place of medication to meditation. A change of one letter. Seem to, a D. So we agree with the psychiatrist that I can come off my medication. Uh, she's happy. She discharges me. Uh, she says if I ever feel a need to come back for support, just get back in touch. That was in 1999. 18 years later, I've never gone back. I've never taken any medication in 18 years. I'm a free man. It's like beginning to live life without the safety net. With the medication, it's like living life with a safety net. It was hard for me to believe that I could do it. Professionals told me, most professionals told me, I'd be on medication all of my life. There was one person in particular, she really believed in me. She really believed that I could come off medication. She gave me that strength to do it. So I'm not escaping. I'm coming home. There's this inward journey. And with this inward journey, my desires, my strivings lessen. I become more content with myself. I'm leading a simple life. Simple things please me. I'm comfortable within my own skin. I'm really beginning to develop this recovery thing and getting good at it do simple things like regular sleeping, good nutrition, going out for walks in nature, even exercising. And at those times in work where I really got stressful and perhaps I thought that it would get to me, I have this thing, I call it, retreat at all. I fall in sick and when there's nobody at home, I'd close the curtains, I'd turn off the telephone, radio, TV, and I'd have, say, six or seven hours each day retreat at home. And I'd just slow everything down and just meditate. I might do that for two or three days, I might do it for one day, but I was enough to get back to work. I call it the stitching time, say, tonight. For me, that was a big thing. And the further I'd gone along, my recovery journey, less disciplined I've become in many ways because I've come a lot more stable. I have i a lot a bit more reckless now, even to come years putting myself on those fringes and exposing myself to the challenges of life, but I can do this now. I can take come out of my comfort zone and do these things. I went on to have three other children, I've got four children And I began to think about my youth and I used to do more and more time in nature now. It becomes a really important thing for me again. And I begin to revisit those things and I think to myself, if only I could nurture my ambition to work in nature again, work in the environment. And that's what I do. I retrain. I do, over a number of years, I do Outdoor courses, wildlife courses, guide training courses, and basically get to the point where I could set up my own business mm-hmm. as a, a, as an outdoor guide. Mm-hmm. And I make that break. I did voluntary redundancy from the Welsh Assembly and become a an full-time outdoor, outdoor guide. So I've revisited that. i achieved my original ambition in work of becoming an outdoor guide, and I've been ten years now something fun as a guide not off Psalm 131 Get My heart is not proud O Lord, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, Put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. A gift. So oh, I think I'm pretty much home now. I'm feeling home. And long forgotten are those escapes from the despair. The visions have subsided. And meditation has led me to a simple, peaceful, ordinary life. I'm lucky. I'm at peace with myself. I'm mostly at peace with everything around me. I would say mostly. And I look back on my illness as a, as a curse. But I also look at it as a blessing. It did say I'd be disabled all, all of my life. And where has this experience like me, where is this experience leading me? The problem I've had is misunderstanding, fear, and stigma out there. Stigma out there in the world, and I hid it. I hid my illness. I hid my experience under the carpet. Hid it from everybody to see as I could. When I got married I moved house. I didn't think it was within my interest to tell people that I'd suffered from the serious matter illness. I didn't think it was in my interest for my work, for my ambitions, for my social connections and particularly for my children. I almost had visions of my children in the schoolyard and the school children speaking with each other i that. So you want to hide these things. I have no... But why should I hide it? This is my truth. This is me. You know, I'm at, I understand it. I'm at peace with this. You know. Why should I have to hide it? It must have been about four or five years ago. myself, why should I hide it? This can help people. I have a gift. I have a gift to gone through serious mental illness and come through it the other side and this can help others. I can offer inspiration and hope to others. So I begin to start sharing my story. I begin to start working with people in recovery who've also suffered serious mental illness. I begin to train in mental health. Become a trainer in mental health first aid. Become a lecturer at the University of South Wales, and I become an expert by lived experience. I become recognized as an expert by lived, lived experience. So some of my work now begins to emerge around this. I set up the social enterprise, Reconnecting Nature, which brings people out into nature to help them with their recovery journeys from mental health problems, but also substance misuse problems. And there are two main pillars to our work, that nature connection, that nature awareness, but also a big thing is peer mentor support. So we light the campfire in the woods, and when we sit round that campfire in the woods, we're supporting each other and we're building up positive, therapeutic, social relationships. So I begin to do things like this. Last week, I was in Canada. I do some work for, I do some following work, and sometimes some paid work uh, for Havill, which is the largest mental health charity within Wales. Harbour uh, is a Welsh word, it means equals. Uh, so I'm a bit of an ambassador for them. And they sent two of us off to uh, a large psychiatric hospital last week out in Canada called Ontario Shores. It's got a staff of 1,200 people at the side of Lake Ontario. And we go there, we have a three-hour meeting with their staff last Monday, and then we do a presentation, a joint presentation of this conference week. So, this is where these things are beginning to lead me now. I think the challenge I got now is, how do I pass on this gift? How do I share this gift? And some people are not ready for it. Mm-hmm. I think meditation is a big part of it. I think teaching meditation and sharing meditation with people with mental health problems brings its challenges, and I think you know, that's one of the challenges we have to face up to. And I've got much—I'm pretty much done dusted now. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you. So we—you know—we go we carrying on with the discussion now. I've got a. Group I work with now in Pembrokeshire and uh, they really do understand and want mindfulness and meditation. But I'm reluctant a little bit to go in because what might emerge in the group and how I can support that. I feel myself I need some support. I need some guidance. You know, I need somebody who I can speak to and say, look, you know, I've got this group. And this is happening within the group. And having, a, there's going to be instances in that group where the best thing I can do is, be, is tell them, you know, you gonna have to come talk with your doctor. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're dealing with a group of people who have a mixture of life experiences, you know, one or two having mental health problems, perhaps you can absorb that within the group. but if you, Working with a group which are all wonderful and have problems, it brings its challenges. So, thank you for listening. uh, (laughs) We're not too bad for time, uh, so.